Good morning, class. Let's answer some question jar questions today. My name is Mr. Ferguson, and whether you're one of my students, one of their parents, or anyone else who has questions about the Bible, I'm glad you're here. I'm a local church pastor and the sixth grade Bible teacher at Christian Fellowship School. In class, our course covers the gospel narratives and the life of Jesus. But whenever we talk about the Bible, other questions about faith, spirituality, and God's Word naturally come up. And so that's what this show is all about, answering those thoughtful questions that my sixth graders have that end up falling outside the scope of our lessons, but still deserve a thoughtful response. So thank you for listening. I hope this show provides you with some valuable insights and also causes you to keep asking great questions. Let's dive in. All right. Well, we are back with another episode of The Question Jar. Uh, today, I'm going to answer some questions about salvation. Uh, that's kind of the, the main overhead uh, kind of category we're in. Um, the This question is a big question, and so it, it may be the only one I get to for this episode, um, but it's an important question. It's like really central to the gospel. Um, and that question is, did Jesus have to die? And if so, why? Man, and that is, I mean, that's such a, a super central question to everything that we believe about, um, you know, how how we are able to be united with God. It's central to the gospel. And there's so many kind of other things that go into that conversation. So um, short answer, I'll just say, you know, did Jesus have to die? Uh, short answer, yes. And so, you know, now the, the second part of the question, which is the, the larger part of the question, if so, why? Um, and that's a, a great question. It's a deep and uh, nuanced question. Um, I think the first place that I would want to go when thinking about uh, why Jesus had to die, if Jesus had to die, and if so, why, um, would probably be Ephesians chapter 1. Um, and, and Ephesians chapter one is, is not necessarily this passage that we probably think of when we think of, um, you know, Jesus' death or, um, you know, the, the, the cross or something like that. But here, let me just read a, a big chunk of the beginning of Ephesians chapter one. Here, Paul's introducing his letter, um, uh, and he's starts off with a, uh, just kind of his praise and his greeting um, to the people, or his praise to God as part of his greeting to the people. He says in verse 3, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united to Christ. Here we go, this is important. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the, of the so we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showed us his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. Uh, and even just the next couple of, of paragraphs um, are just so beautiful like that as well. Uh, but here's what I want to emphasize. Maybe you could hear it in my voice and the way I was reading. Two or three or four times in just this short passage, Paul emphasizes that um, the the way that 
we are a part of God's family, that being through Jesus. Um, and he, he perched up, purchased us um, with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. Uh, Paul makes it really clear here that this happened, this plan was in place before God made the world. Um, this plan was in place, uh, he decided it in advance. Um, you know, even, even of making the world and God chose us. If, you know, if you're a disciple of Jesus, God chose you to be one of his people. Um, before, you know, long, long before, um, you were even here. And so, um, in, in terms of, you know, did Jesus have to die? Um, I mean, it, before time, that was already part of God's plan. Then that was going to happen. Um, you know, God, God late when God, uh, before God created the world and decided how he wanted to, to lay out the unfolding events of history. Um, he knew that people would sin and reject him and rebel against him. And, um, his plan was to have Jesus sacrifice himself on the cross for our sins. Um, and so, I mean, you know, before, yeah, th th again, this is before God created the world. Um, so God had, unlimited opportunity, you know, unlimited option in terms of like what his plan could have been and, and how, as he's deciding, uh, history should unfold, what should happen. Um, and this is what he chose, you know, he, he chose, um, in his, you know, unlimited free will to, um, to have Jesus be the sacrifice for our sins. Um, and so Jesus died, uh, because that was part of God's plan. And for whatever reason, um, you know, I think if we kept reading, you know, the, the following verses, we would kind of see that reason and just the beauty that, um, God's plan reveals to us through Jesus. Um, we would see that that's, that's why, um, God chose to do things that way. Um, that's kind of like a really, you know, almost trying to like grasp the eternality, the you know eternal side of um, why Jesus had to die. You know, Jesus had to die because um, it was always his plan. You know, that was always um, as, as the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God existing in three persons for all eternity. Um, when God decided to create everything, create stuff, um, it was already decided that that would be the plan that the son would come and be the sacrifice for our sins that would bring people into God's family. And that, that would be the thing that would bring people into God's family. When we kind of think of, um, then more in like the, you know, the actual unfolding events of history and the, the, the way that, um, people live and act, um, what is it that, you know, necessitates Jesus's death on the cross. Um, what is it that the cross accomplishes or, or rather Jesus's death on the cross? What does that accomplish? Um, and when we ask questions like this, what we're talking about is, uh, this theological topic category called, uh, the atonement. And so, um, there's, there's several ways historically that the church has kind of um, taught and thought about the atonement, you know, what Jesus did on the cross, what Jesus's death did um, on our behalf. Um, 
and so I, I'm just I'm going to bring there's there's kind of two main ones. Um, if you're you know a Reformed Protestant, then um, you're probably you're almost certainly familiar with the first one. Uh, but I want to introduce you to a second one, maybe if you're not familiar with that either, um, because I think it's it's just all over the New Testament. Um, it was you know all over the the minds of of the early church as well. Those first followers of Jesus, and so we'll we'll get into that too. Um, the first one is called penal substitutionary atonement. That's kind of a, a long, a long word. Um, that's going to be the, the bonus term for this episode. Um, penal substitutionary atonement, penal being a, a word related to penalty, um, substitution. Jesus takes our place. He's our substitute for the punishment we deserve for the penalty that we deserved. Um, and then atonement, you know, that being the, the, the work of, of Jesus on the cross. Uh, one of the ways you can kind of maybe a mnemonic device you can use to help yourself remember what atonement means. You, if you just look at the word, um, you know, it's A-T-O-N-E-M-E-N-T. Um, you can see how um, God and humans are at... Mm-hmm, at one with each other. I don't know. That's maybe like, a, you know, how do, how do, um, God and people have relationship again in, in the way that they were designed to, um, how are they made, you know, one again, how are they unified, uh, us as humans with God, uh, the way we were designed to be, um, maybe it's kind of a clunky way to say it, but I don't know. That's, that's something that I used to help me remember what the atonement kind of is talking about. Um, okay. So let, let's, let's unpack this first one, substitutionary atonement, penal substitution. Um, so right at the beginning and, and we're, we're, we'll, we'll do a little bit of a survey of, you know, the whole Bible story, um, really fast. <laughs> um, but in right off, right off the bat in the book of Genesis, um, God gives a command to his humans to Adam and Eve. And he said, Hey, you know, I, I, you know, put you in this garden. You can eat from whatever tree you like, except don't eat from the one in the middle. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, on the day you eat of it in different translations, we'll kind of translate this phrase differently. Um, you know, you will surely die or on the day that you eat of it, your death will be certain is, is I think that's probably the, the best way to understand it because, um, you know, spoiler alert, they do eat it and spoiler alert, it's not like they are, are immediately struck dead. But on that day, their death would be certain because that was going to cost them relationship with God. They were going to get kicked out of the garden. They were going to lose access to the tree of life. Um, don't eat of it because on the day that you eat of it, you'll surely die. Like your death will be certain from that point on. And so, um, you know, the, the Bible gives us this big picture from beginning to end that the natural consequence for sin is death. Romans 3 tells us that, you know, or Romans 6, the wages of sin is death. Wages are, you know, the payment and what you've earned. Um, what we earn by sinning is death. And, you know, maybe you're thinking, oh man, that, that seems really harsh, right? Like, um, you know, and in, in our minds, we, we can, 
try and justify sin to ourselves and we say things like oh but i just did like a, a little sin you know that was i i'm not like the worst person in the world right i never killed anyone or you know um i just did a little sin but you know we we have to make sure that we're understanding what sin is and what sin does and who god is and and how we relate to god um one of the 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 defining characteristics of god who he is is that um he is the only being the only thing that has life and existence in and of himself like god necessarily exists would be like the philosophical way of of saying that you know god is the the thing god is the ground of all existence god exists because god exists you know he just has that's a natural characteristic of god is existence and life you and me um you know sad to say we are not we don't have existence in and of ourselves if you try and hold your breath if you stop eating food and drinking water um you know you are not going to just live on your own you are dependent um you we are dependent on um you know just the way we're made with our bodies we need physical things to sustain our life um and and also i mean the way that the bible describes jesus's work of creation like in the book of colossians you know um by his word everything is being held together like if jesus decided that he wanted to take a day off from holding the world together um we would all just like thanos snap poof out of existence um constantly moment by moment god is the source of all existence and everything that exists only exists because of him and it depends entirely on him that's a defining characteristic of god um and so when we but when we sin so when we sin um sin is anything that is against god it's rebellion against god it's um you know breaking god's command it's it's doing the opposite of you know what god has commanded us and so it's like you know imagine if you've got two options you know you got god's word following following god a relationship with him uh or you know specifically in adam and eve's case you know this tree of knowing good and evil um it, it may be something different for you you know whatever the thing is that you're tempted by and um to sin to go to that thing that god has said hey that is not good for you that is not in line with who I am or or what I value or who I want you to be. That's not conducive to us being in a relationship. Um, it's like we look at God, the only source of life and existence, and we say, nah, no thanks. I'd rather have this fruit. I'd rather have, you know, this relationship. I'd rather have this job. I'd rather have, you know, whatever the thing is that we're tempted by, you know. We look at the only source of life in existence and we say, no, thanks. I'm going to try it myself. And so, you know, when, when we when we think about it like that, um, it's maybe a lot more obvious that the, the result of sin is death. We walk away. We, we give the stiff arm to the only source of life that truly exists. And um, so that, you know, that, that's why all sin is is punishable by death and there's a there's an active and a passive aspect to that punishment there's an active you know god's punishment on sin is death 
Um, like that's his active punishment for violating his his perfect you know law. Um, and there's also the passive side. Like of course, obviously, if we continue to walk away and not embrace um, who God is as the only source of life, um, obviously, obviously, we're we're, we're going to die. Uh, it'd be like you know, if you're floating in the ocean and you know couldn't swim. You're like, well, there's one life preserver right over there. Like I could grab it, but you know, um, I think I'll pass. Well, you know, it, you're obviously you're going to die. Like the, the natural consequence of that decision, not reaching for the life preserver is death. And so that's kind of a, you know, that is, that's something we have to understand about, about who God is, about what sin is and what sin does to us. Um, before we, we even think about, um, you know, the cross. We have to understand sin too. Um, and so, you know, God sees this, God sees his, his people fall, Adam and Eve, they sin, they rebel against him. Death is death is waiting for them. And the day that they ate, their death became certain. And so, um, you know, and God doesn't want this. We, I'd say this in class all the time. Death is the most anti-God thing that exists. Death is the worst thing um, in the in the biblical, you know, view of of reality. God is life. Death is anti God. I mean, it, it just doesn't get more more simple than that. And so God doesn't want this for His people. He made them and He loves them and He He gave them uh, a calling and a job to do, uh, a beautiful job and a calling to do. And and so um, God says, I don't want even though they have naturally by their decisions earned death, I don't want that for them. I want to make a way out of that for them. And so throughout the Old Testament, you know, we see right there in the garden with Adam and Eve, God kills a lamb to cover, you know, you know, the nakedness of the, of, of the humans. Um, you know, this is not necessarily like a Leviticus type of sacrifice, but I think it's kind of you know, maybe foreshadowing something like that. Sin is costly and it costs something its life. That's what um, you know, a mentor of mine used to say all the time. And so as we get into, you know, the later into the Old Testament and uh, God calls his people Israel. And um, if you've read your Old Testament, you know that Israel, even though they're God's people, they're just constantly sinning and, and violating the relationship that they have uh, with God. And so, um, well, and when we sin, the natural consequence of that is, is death. God says, I don't want my people to experience that. I'm, I have a plan to use them to bless the whole world. And so God gives them this system um, by which, you know, um, an animal's life can substitute in their place. Um, so that, that's why you read Leviticus. That's why you read most of the Old Testament. The temple, they have the altar, and they would sacrifice different animals um, for a time. You know, it, it wasn't it wasn't a perfect system. Uh, the book of Hebrews tells it wasn't the the perfect system, but it was uh, the system that God gave them for that time. Um, and so, for uh, once a year, the the high priest he would make a couple sacrifices on behalf of the people. Um, to, to make atonement for their sins, make it so that the people could still be in relationship with God. Every year they had to be reminded, you know, because the, the goat was not going to take away their sin forever. That's what the book of Hebrews tells us. It says, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Uh, 
So it was, it was the system God gave them at the time, but it was it was still not the system that God was going to bring about fully later on. You can think about it if you if you know how a credit card works. Um, you may or you may not. Um, a credit card when you pay with some, when you go to the store, you go to a restaurant, you pay with, for something with a credit card. Um, in that moment, you are not actually paying for your food with your money. Um, I remember when I was probably a sixth grader, I used to just kind of think like, oh, well, you know, we'd ask my dad, dad, can we go out to eat? Can we go get ice cream? Dad says, no, you know, money's a little tight right now. We're not going to do that today. We're not going to do that this week. And we're like, but dad, don't you have a credit card? Like we just kind of thought about it as like, oh, a credit card means unlimited money. Uh, but it doesn't <laughs> because you swipe your credit card. And in that moment, what happens is, uh, I tell, Shakespeare's, or, you know, Andy's, wherever I'm at, I tell Andy's, I say, hey, I'm not going to give you the money for this ice cream right now. But my friends over at Visa uh, are going to cover it for me. They're going to give me a, a loan, you know, for $12, however much my ice cream is from me and Mrs. Ferguson. Um, they're going to give me a $12 loan. And then, uh, you know, so you'll have your money and then I can have my ice cream, right? And at the end of the month, Visa comes over to me and it's like, hey, you remember when we uh, we gave you $12 so that you could have Andy's the other day? It's time for you to pay us back. Um, so when, when you use a credit card, you're not actually paying. But then at the end of the month, every month, the credit card company says, OK, now it's time for you to give us give us our money back that we we loaned you earlier. Think about the Old Testament sacrificial system kind of like that. Uh, every time the priest would make a sacrifice would sacrifice one of these goats think you can almost you know no analogy is perfect don't push it too far but it's almost like he was swiping the credit card he was kicking the can down the road saying hey this is this is going to cover us for now um but i know it's it's not the final payment i'm, I'm not paying in full right now um but we'll do that later. We'll, we'll, something will take care of that later. Uh, and so for you know centuries, that was the way that God related to his, his people, Israel, in the Old Testament. Every year they would you know swipe the card. They would make the sacrifice. It would take away sin for uh, for a year. It would it would kick the can down the road. But like Hebrews tells us, the blood of goats cannot take away our sin. The way we needed to ultimately we're just charging the card but one day the bill still comes due and so we you know get to the new testament and this is kind of how the new testament talks about jesus's death on the cross paying for our sins when so you know visa comes to me and they say hey mr ferguson we gave you 12 dollars so that you and mrs ferguson could have some andy's last week now you got to pay us back you know, what happens if, if I don't have the money? What happens if I don't have $12 to pay my credit card bill? Um, well, I, I don't know, probably something bad. Um, but so far I've always had the $12. So, uh, I don't know what would happen. They'd probably charge me extra. Um, but I, you know, but for us as, as, as sinful people, we can't pay the price because the price is our own life. And that's kind of what we're trying to avoid. Right. So, um, I guess first of all, why why can't a, why can't the animal sacrifice take away sins? Um, the animal is is pure, that's a requirement of the sacrifice. Um, it's a perfect animal, but an animal is not like us. It's not like you and me. 
Um, and so it, it can't be the perfect substitute. It can substitute for a little bit. It can go a little bit, uh, but it's not the perfect sacrifice. But we also, there's no person, right? In the Old Testament who can offer themselves as a perfect sacrifice because no person is perfect. What, what we need is a perfect person to be our substitute. Maybe you know where this is going now. Jesus is the perfect person. Jesus is the sacrifice that we need. And so uh, when, when, and especially, man, what do I say in class all the time? If you want to learn, if you want to understand the New Testament, you got to understand your Old Testament. Um, if you read the book of, if you read the Torah and then you read like the book of John, like you just see sacrifice language all over the place. You see priestly language all over the place. It's clear with how John is writing that what Jesus is doing, he is the priest and he's the sacrifice, which is pretty wild. Um, again, the book of Hebrews kind of unpacks that too. Jesus is the perfect priest and Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. Uh, when Jesus dies on the cross, his death is able, when we put our faith in him, when we trust in him, when we pledge our allegiance to him, we become united to him. And so his death is able to cover for our death. When we stand before God, um, God says, okay, the bills do. You sinned, um, the, the goat, the, the blood of bulls and goats kicked the can down the road for a while, but now the bills do. And if, if we're not covered by Jesus, we say, I, I don't have the money. I don't, I don't have the payment. The only way to pay is with my own life. God doesn't want that for his people. And so, uh, but when we're united to Jesus, Jesus is able to say, hey, no, I, he's, he's with me. He's united to me. So everything that I have, I, I share with him uh, or her. Um, you know, I, I share with this person who's united to me. My death counts for them too. Um, man, it's beautiful. Um, so that, that's, that's one way of understanding. That's one way to answer that question of like, why did Jesus have to die? Why is that a part of the Bible's story? Uh, it seems gruesome and, and violent and it is. Um, but that's just one reason Jesus had to be our sacrifice because no person could be the perfect sacrifice because no perfect, no person was perfect. No animal could be our sacrifice, even though they were perfect, they weren't a person. They weren't like us. They couldn't really substitute um, perfectly for us. And so that's that's kind of the what we call the, the penal substitutionary atonement understanding. Um, Jesus pays the penalty. Uh, as He's our substitute for us on our behalf. Um, but there's an, also another way that I want us to understand the cross as well. You know, why did Jesus have to die? Um, and this is called, this is a, a Latin term. It's called the, the Christus Victor way of understanding the atonement. Um, I'm gonna, since this is such a, an awesome topic, uh, I'm going to give you a bonus, bonus term. Uh, and that, that's going to be Christus Victor, um, which in English, it means Christ the victor, Jesus the victorious one. Um, and so what we're, what we're thinking about is, um, with this understanding of, of what the cross accomplishes, um, one of the places that we can go that I, I love is um, Colossians chapter two. I'm gonna turn there right now. Um, let's see, freedom, new life in Christ. Um, 
in in the, the New Testament, and we talked about this in class with kind of the temptation of Jesus. Um, the devil comes to Jesus and offers Jesus um, all the kingdoms of the world. And it's like, okay, is, is he allowed to do that? Can he even offer that stuff to Jesus? Um, and, you know, in, in one sense, God is the ultimate king over everything, you know, in the, in the like most biggest cosmic sense. But in, in, a, in a more kind of lived out day-to-day -day kind of sense, when people turn from God and turn towards sin, when they reject God, what they're doing is they're through their actions or even through their, their identities and confessions and the, you know, um, are, are siding with the other team. They're siding with the devil. Um, that's why the Bible even calls the devil the, the prince of this world. Um, when people give their allegiance to you know, and maybe it's not even like explicit or conscious, but when we reject God and when we embrace sin, it's like we're pledging allegiance to a different king, uh, to a different prince. And so Jesus comes in, you know, the gospels and, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, he's tempted. Um, in, you know, Matthew and Luke, we see this temptation. The devil says, Hey, I know why you're here. I know you're here to bring God's kingdom. And I know that it has to go through the cross. But here's what, I'll make you a deal. You can skip that. You can skip the cross and have God's kingdom. I'll give you all these kingdoms. I'll give you all these people who, by their actions or attitudes, pledge their allegiance to me. You can have them. Mission accomplished, right? Um, and you, then you don't even have to go to the cross. That's the temptation of, of, of the devil in that passage. Um, there's this, this, there's like a, Jesus comes to bring the kingdom of God. It's like there's this anti-kingdom that's already kind of running, you know, you know, the hearts of, of humanity. And so when Jesus, uh, when Jesus comes uh, and he dies on the cross and raises from the dead, specifically, uh, it's, it's the raising from the dead. And I like how these two work together. It's like on the cross on Good Friday, it's like Jesus has handled our debt. Jesus has been our substitute and paid the punishment that we couldn't pay. But, you know, Jesus has to rise again, right? You know, if Jesus was was dead, then that means the evil powers, the evil spiritual powers still win, right? And we can't have that. God can't have that. Um, God's going to establish his kingdom. And so when when Jesus dies on the cross, the kingdoms of, uh, of darkness, they celebrate uh, evil spiritual forces. They think they won. And then Easter Sunday, the stone rolls away. Jesus rises from the dead. It's like, not so fast. You thought you had one, but you you don't have anything anymore. Uh, for the longest time, the powers of darkness, their ultimate weapon. This is what this is what the Bible tells us. Romans, Colossians, Ephesians. Their ultimate weapon was death, uh, because, like that's what we said earlier. That's the worst thing. That can happen. That's the that's the most anti God thing, is death. Um, but when Jesus rises from the dead, he's like, "That's the worst you got." Like I, I've got resurrection life. I, I've got new power, and I've come to share it. I've come to unleash it in this world, and and you guys are toast. You don't stand a chance. And so, <clears throat> um. Let's see. I'm 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 still skimming for. Um, I was kind of doing a little sermon there, um, but I need to um, 
scan for the passage I was looking for in Colossians. Um, maybe it's Colossians 1. Paul's work for the church. Hmm. Okay. I'm, I don't know the verses off the top of my head, but it's, I know it's in, Col I know it's in Colossians. Um, in Colossians, Paul's kind of painting this picture for us of, of what the Roman empire, what the Jewish religious leaders do to Jesus when they, uh, put him up on the cross so that, you know, normally what would happen is if, if you were someone who was crucified, like that's the, the worst, most embarrassing, most shameful, most painful way that you could possibly be executed in the Roman Empire. And, um, you know, if, if you die on the cross, you're, you look like the ultimate loser. No one could get lower than you. And so they, they, they think that they've, they think that they've got Jesus. They think they've brought him as low as, as you can possibly bring someone. Um, but Paul tells, Paul tells us in, uh, in Colossians, like, what would normally be the victory parade for the evil forces, for the, the evil empires and, and for the dark spiritual forces, um, they, they march Jesus up to the hill where he's going to be crucified. Um, normally that looks, that looks like a victory lap for the evil empire and for the, the dark spiritual forces. But the way Paul tells the story, he says, when, when they did that to Jesus, it was Jesus who was putting them to shame. Jesus puts them to open shame. And when he rises from the dead, he's again, he's like, that's the worst you got. That's all you can do. And I mean, that's why, you know, that's why Christians don't need to be afraid of death. Um, because the worst thing that I'm not, and I'm not saying that death isn't still bad. I think it's still the worst thing. I think the Bible still says it's the worst thing, but the power of death has been removed because the worst thing that death can do to a disciple of Jesus is bring them face to face with him. And that's why we don't need to be afraid of death. We can still, we should, we can, and we should still be sad when death rears its ugly head in our world. Um, when we have friends or family members who die, um, that's still the worst thing. Jesus cried and wept and was angry, uh, when he went to visit Lazarus and he still knew. And that was all before he knew that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead in like, you know, 10 minutes or something. Um, but the power of the cross, the power of the resurrection, what Jesus's death and resurrection have done for us is they've canceled the sin punishment, the sin debt that we owed and have defeated, overthrown, uh, the dark spiritual forces, the evil empires in our world that use death as their primary source of fear and control over people. Um, together, I mean, together, these two, you know, ways that the Bible talks about, um, you know, what the cross and the resurrection have done. These are just, I mean, this is, this is straight up gospel right here. This, this is what we talk about when we talk about the good news of Jesus. He's paid for our debt and he's overthrown the evil empires and the evil spiritual forces in our world. It doesn't get better than that, guys. Um, that is, I mean, that's, that's the beauty of, of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Um, I'm going to go ahead and 
leave it at that, I think, and just kind of wrap up there. Um, otherwise I'm just, I'm probably going to do like a 40 minute sermon. Um, but that's a big question. So that's the only question we'll tackle on this one. Did Jesus have to die? Yeah, this was, it was always part of God's plan. Jesus' death. I had a, a professor say once, like Jesus is never more in control than the moments leading up to his death. It seems chaotic all around him, but Jesus' death is not something that came out of left field, that took Jesus by surprise, that took God by surprise. It surprised everyone else, but not Jesus, because it was always his plan. He always knew that that was going to be part of his mission and his ministry. And in terms of why, Jesus had to die so that he could cancel, pay for, um, the punishment for our sins for us, the punishment that we couldn't handle, the payment that we couldn't pay off, and to overthrow evil empires and evil spiritual forces to set up his his good kingdom, his kingdom of righteousness. All right, let me let me give those bonus words again, just in case you forgot or 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 um, didn't catch them the first time around. The first one is is called penal substitution, penal substitutionary atonement. And the other is Christus Victor. Uh, that means Christ the Victor. Um, okay, that is going to be it for today. I could, like I said, I could go on for a long time, but so I don't, I'm just going to stop it right here. Thanks, guys. Okay, class, that is it for today. We'll pick back up here next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Question Jar. I look forward to next time where we'll think through some more great questions. Until then, stay curious.